My friends, Teresa of Avila, doctor of the church, an extraordinary saint, made a very striking statement about sin. She said, as for venial sins, I paid little attention, and that is what destroyed me. Teresa Baba had looked back at her spiritual journey and the difficulty she had progressing in it. And she recalled that she had received advice from many people, including priests, that suggested that venial sins were not actually sins at all. But she finally realized that her inclination to cling to this advice was because it allowed her to continue to pursue her selfish desires, even those desires that were disordered and sinful. Then she began to also focus on even the small ways in which she offended the Lord. And then, and only then, did she make great advances in her spiritual life. She tells us that making a decision to never freely choose to commit even a small sin is an important turning point in all of our spiritual journeys. And isn't this really the central meaning of today's readings? And why we began Mass, we begin every Mass with a penitential rite, admitting that we are sinners, admitting that we need a Savior. Isn't this the whole meaning of our Advent season and the Christmas season and on and on and on? After all, God did not become flesh and dwell among us because we were righteous. He came because we needed to be healed. But have you ever imagined what it might be like for us today if he never came? I mean, what if he never came? What if he never became one of us, took on our flesh? What if he never suffered, died and rose again to conquer sin and death, to save us? What if he never ascended into heaven to intercede for us, to prepare a place for us, to ascend into the sacrament we celebrate here tonight? What would the world be like if Jesus never came? While this purely hypothetical question, of course, is not easy to answer, one thing is absolutely clear. It would not be good. First, of course, there would be no church he founded the church. He is our head. Imagine the great works of art that would not exist, the beautiful paintings and statuary, the incredibly beautiful churches and uh, sacred music. Imagine no sacred scripture. After all, it's a church inspired by the spirit that put these books together. Imagine other great spiritual books that would not exist. We're just scratching the surface here, aren't we? But imagine what our education system would be like without Jesus becoming incarnate and forming the church and our hospitals. Most importantly, imagine what the world would be like vis-a-vis -vis sin. Imagine no sacraments, no baptism, no sacrament of mercy and the confession, no priest to help us to be free from sin. Before Christ, the world was stuck in a cycle of sin, or as she said before, the incarnation. God raised up prophet after prophet to pull us out of the cycle of sin, only for us to fall deeper into sin upon the prophet's death. But Jesus broke the cycle of sin. 
and revealed who we are, that we are his. Sin, of course, still exists, as does all of its effects. But Jesus conquered sin. He conquered death. And he gave us a path with a peace. I know it's easy, perhaps, to look around our troubled world and uh, get discouraged at times. But he came. He came and dwelt among us. And there are many, many signs of his effect. If Jesus never came, there would be no hope. And we would be even more miserable. He gives us hope. Hope that we can and are free through his grace. But only if we acknowledge that we need to be free. That we need him to be our savior. You know, last week we began a new liturgical year with the beginning of Advent. And we reflected on Advent as a season of hope that Jesus did come. Today's readings continue this theme of hope. A hope that is only realized through relationship with Jesus Christ. Isaiah in the first reading speaks beautifully of this hope. That Jesus is the new Adam this new Adam that presides over the new creation, bringing us back to that Garden of Eden, and the harmony, that perfect harmony that existed before the fall. You have this image of the wolf as a guest of the lamb and on and on. That Jesus grants us access to the waters of the river of life through baptism. He grants us access to the fruit of the tree of life in the Holy Eucharist so that we can eat and drink forever. Jesus is the new Adam, but he is also the new Moses who leads us out of the slavery to sin. Jesus is the new David, the King of Kings, who rules over all of creation in and through the church. He is even the new Solomon, David's son, who with the, well, the, with his wisdom of Solomon, uh, his wisdom is beyond the wisdom of Solomon. It's beyond the bounds of the universe and is accessible to all who bow down to him in love, to those who open themselves to the gifts of the Holy Spirit he speaks about, Isaiah does in the first reading, beginning with that important uh, first uh, gift of the Holy Spirit, awe and wonder, fear the Lord. My friends, there is much reason for hope. Jesus did come. And so we sing with the psalmist, justice shall flourish in his time. And because Jesus is in the eternal present, his time is our time. His time is now. And his desire is our peace. We are encouraged by the writings of St. Paul and his reading uh, from the book of Romans. For it's through the scriptures that we have hope because it points to our Savior. Holy Scripture encourages us. There is reason for hope, but only if we spend time each week meditating on it. And as we said last Sunday, hope is realized through a cleansing. So it shouldn't be surprising that today we get to John the Baptist. John the Baptist and his message of repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
You know, John the Baptist spent his whole life preparing the way for the Lord, pointing to Jesus, someone mightier than him. You know, imagine walking around camel hair with a with this leather belt, drawing such attention, he was clearly a new Elijah sort of figure. But this extraordinary man, this extraordinary prophet, he says himself he was not worthy to even carry our Lord's sandals. He must increase, I must decrease, was John the Baptist's mantra. And he baptized with water, but pointed to the reality that Jesus was coming, he came and baptizes with the Holy Spirit in fire. There is hope in Jesus Christ, and there is hope in today's gospel. For John the Baptist pointed to Christ in the desert. Jesus meets us in our deserts. He meets us in our sin. He created us without our permission, but he won't save us without our cooperation. Thankfully, he is patient, and he is determined. He is love and mercy itself, waiting for us to turn to him. Jesus meets us in the desert. He meets us in our suffering and pain. Many want Christmas without Advent, Easter without Lent, happiness without sacrifice, gain without pain, heaven without the cross. But Jesus desires us to encounter him in the desert so that he can help us through it, that he can purify us in it and bring us to unimaginable peace and joy. John the Baptist tells us to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And there is an urgency to his message he says, even now the ax lies at the root of the trees. Judgment is coming. It will be swift. Good fruit is needed. John the Baptist wasn't, and he isn't. He's not wagging his finger at us in judgment. This is always a no judgment zone. John the Baptist, like St. Paul after him, is encouraging us to prepare the way of the Lord to make straight our paths, to get our acts together, to purify our hearts and minds, to lock arms in battle as a people of faith so that we may all find true peace and joy. For Advent is a time of preparation. It is a time in which we anxiously and actively wait for the coming of our Messiah, the coming of our Savior. We ask our almighty and merciful God in the opening prayer of the Mass, the Collect, that no earthly undertaking would hinder us as we set out in haste to meet him. For Advent is a very busy time, and it is easy to get caught up in the busyness of preparing, the busyness of an already very busy life. And we can become too busy to prepare for the encounter with Christ that our hearts and minds desire. Jesus wants to shake up our Advent this year. That is the message behind John the Baptist's threshing floor image. You know, at harvest time, stalks of grain were placed upon the threshing floor. The farmer would use his winnowing fan 
to collect the grain and toss it into the air. The lighter, useless chaff was blown away, and the precious grain fell to the ground to be collected. There's a beautiful Trinitarian nature to this work. The farmer, of course, our loving Heavenly Father, the winning fan is Jesus, and the wind is their spirit. It's very labor-intensive, this work. It is time-consuming, this work. God is at work. And he's calling us to turn to him in total trust and abandonment. My friends, our Advent wreaths are half-lit. I pray your Advents are going well. If they've gotten off to a slow start, no worries. Today is a new day. This is a new week. May each of us focus on our preparation to encounter our Lord. May each of us speak to others of this gift, this grace, inviting someone else to Mass throughout this Advent and later the Christmas season. Help them to prepare the way for the Lord. Help them to know and to believe that Jesus did come. He is the reason for the season. He is our hope. And he comes here at every Mass. He is in those rooms in the back, in those rooms in the confessional of mercy. He is in his word. The, he is in this people of faith, and he awaits us because he loves us. My friends, we got this, but only if we realize that we don't, that we are weak, that we need the strong one that we need him to purify us. And the strong one came, and he is here. May we all repent, even of the very small ways, and perhaps the ways in which we offend the Lord, knowing that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And may God be praised. Amen.